And if you would please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 14. We're going to look at almost the entire chapter. And that's found on page 960 if you're using the Pew Bible. 1 Corinthians 14. And we're, just a reminder, we're in this section of 1 Corinthians that's dealing with worship. Chapters 14, uh, 11 through 14. And the Corinthians had a lot of problems in this area. In chapter 11, we saw <clears throat> that they blurred the, the distinction, the God-given distinction between men and women, the roles uh, that God has given to them, and uh, what, how, how these distinctions applied in the church. And uh, <clears throat> also in chapter 11, we saw how they celebrated the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Instead of being a, a communion meal that, that strengthens the fellowship that they had with the saints and their, their union with Christ, it was used to cause divisions. And there was pride and there was humiliation and separation between brothers and sisters. And we spent several weeks in, in chapter 12 and we were looking at spiritual gifts, gifts given by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of building up the church. And these are, are given to each believers and, and the purpose of them is to edify the church, to make each one of us more like Christ. But instead of being used for the common good, as the Holy Spirit intended, the Corinthians, they wanted the more visible gifts, the more flashy gifts. And they used these gifts for their own benefit, for their own pride, for their own comfort. And then at the end of chapter 12, Paul introduces the more excellent way. And we looked at this last week in chapter 13. And this still more excellent way is the way of love. We found that any gift that was used without love is really worse than useless. And love is the essential ingredient in the operation of the spiritual gifts, essential for them to be effective. Well, today we're going to look at one specific gift that was causing divisions and problems in this church, and this is the gift of tongues. And we're going to spend two weeks, Lord willing, on this chapter. Today we're going to look just at tongues. Next week we're going to look at a more general instructions for worship that we see in this chapter. <clears throat> so... 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Brothers and sisters, hear now the word of the living God. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for the upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. <clears throat> now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if a bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is un not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. <clears throat> so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one 
who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider, that is one without gifts, say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of the heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all the things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God come, came? Or are you only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us at this moment. Father, I pray for your Spirit to be with me as I preach, Lord, that I will preach your word faithfully. And Lord, I pray for each one here in the congregation, Lord, that we will have our hearts softened to hear from you. And Lord, when we have an encounter with your word, we will see Christ and we will be changed. Each one of us will be drawn closer to him. Each one of us will be drawn more into the image of of Jesus Christ. And it's his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Well, the, the gift of tongues is only mentioned in the book of Acts and in 1 Corinthians. It's mentioned three times in the book of Acts and 13 times in the book of 1 Corinthians. And it's only in these chapters we're looking at, first chapters 12, 13, and 14. That's it in all the Bible. The gift of tongues is not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the Gospels. It's not mentioned in the other epistles. 
It's not mentioned in the book of Revelation. And there was no mention of this practice by the early church fathers in their writings. There's no mention of it in church history. And it wasn't until the early 20th century in the United States, with the birth of the Pentecostal movement, that we see the claims of the reemergence of the gift of tongues. And because of the sheer size of the, the Pentecostal movement and the charismatic movement in the Christian church, many of us are familiar with this. Many of us have interaction. Many of us have, may have been in churches that have participated in this practice. Many in his church may have participated in this practice as yourselves. And there's a spectrum of beliefs about tongues among proponents of the continuation of this gift. There's one group, the, the Oneness Pentecostals, and this is a heretical group that de- denies the Trinity and, and, and requires baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus for salvation. They're, they're modalists, and some of you know, may know what that means. And they claim that speaking in tongues is the only way, the only true sign that we can see that someone is saved. So you could have been baptized in the name of Jesus. You could profess faith in Jesus, but you are not saved if you have not spoke in tongues. Now, most men, mainline Pentecostals, they don't uh, tie salvation to speaking in tongues, but they do tie it to what they call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is a second anointing. This is like a, a second level of Christendom. There's, there's, there's basic Christianity, and then if you're really spiritual, you have had this anointing, the second anointing, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is evidenced by speaking in tongues. And there are different understandings of what it even means to speak in tongues. For many, it's just a a gibberish, and they claim that it's an unknown language, or it's a prayer language, a a language of personal prayer. And I had a good friend, a strong believer, but he prayed in tongues. This was his prayer language that he would do. And I remember having times praying out loud in a group of, and some of were from this uh, Pentecostal background. And as I'm praying, you know, normally as I pray in, in this church, we'll have people will go, aha, uh-huh, or maybe amen. Well, in there, they were making kind of clicking sounds and, and, and grunts, and I, I was really distracted. And they tell me they were praying along with me in tongues. And I remember when I was a kid, I went actually when I was in a Catholic church. It was a Catholic charismatic church. And this, this was really crazy. I mean, this, this was mind-blowing for me. I was, it was a full, full church and there were dozens of people, literally dozens of people, praying in tongues all at the same time. And, it was, and they were just going on, ah, but, ah, but, ah. You know, I, I didn't even know what it was. And I, I, was, I, mean, I was startled. And, that, and there were people fainting. There were people crying. <clears throat> there, was one, there was one lady sitting behind me that was actually crying on my shoulder and praying in tongues. Needless to say, I was pretty freaked out by this. But we see this in, in the prosperity gospel. We see this with faith healers. All of this tied up in in the speaking of tongues is central to many of these movements. And many of these churches, they are are Protestant evangelical churches. They would would affirm, like we do, the inerrancy of Scripture. And they look to Scripture, particularly the book of Acts, to justify this practice of of of, uh, speaking in tongues. Now, it's important for us to understand about the book of Acts. See, the book of Acts is a transitional book. And what I mean is it chronicles a transitional time in redemptive history, a transition from the old covenant with its types and shadows and signs to the new covenant where these types and shadows and signs are fulfilled, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it's a time going where, when God is dealing specifically with the nation of Israel to dealing with the church. And because of the transitional nature of the book of Acts, Acts is not normative for the church. It's not normative for the church age. And we get in trouble if we base our scriptures 
and our, we, we base our theology solely on these transitional narrative portions of Scripture. And, and a narrative portion of Scripture is, is one that describes real events that happen to real people in redemptive history. But we need to look to other portions of Scripture to explain the significance of these events. So, right, for example, are these people acting in accordance to God's will or against God's will? Is God commanding what we see or is God condemning what we see? Or is he indifferent? Is this being described as a universal practice for the entire church for all time? Or is it only specific for a specific location and a specific time? See, these are answers that the narrative themselves, the narrative texts themselves often do not answer. But if we base our theology uh, on things that are described, again, real events that happen to real people in, in time and space, without interpreting them in the light of all of Scripture, we will fall into error. And much of these narrative selections, including the book of Acts, are descriptive. They're not proscriptive. That is, they tell us what happened. They don't tell us what we are to do. What we need to do is we need to look elsewhere. We need to look to the didactic books, the teaching sections of Scripture for our theology. And that's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to go through this passage. We're going to look at this passage and a few other passages in Scripture. And we're going to see what does it teach us about the gift of tongues. The real biblically defined gift versus the counterfeit gift of tongues that is so common today. So I'm going to start off with, with a big picture of this message, of this chapter with respect to tongues. So if you remember in chapter 13, Paul tells the Corinthians that love, love is the essential ingredient in the use of all the spiritual gifts. And only gifts that are exercised in love, only they will accomplish the purpose. Only they will build up the church. Only they will help Christians become more like Christ. And gifts not exercised in love will not only fail to achieve this purpose, but to actually produce the opposite result. And this is what we saw in in Corinth. This is the reason that there were so many divisions in the church during their worship. They had the wrong use of spiritual gifts. And in chapter 14, Paul addresses the biggest culprit of them all. The biggest culprit that caused these divisions is the gift of tongues. And this was a flashy gift. This was a coveted gift. This was a gift that made you look super spiritual. And it led to pride. It led to division. And it led to controversy rather than edification, rather than building up the church. And a misunderstanding of tongues and its application in the modern church still causes problems. So what we see is the big picture, or I should say, what is the big picture of this chapter, chapter 14? Well, it's relatively straightforward. The theme is the superiority of prophecy over tongues. Superiority of prophecy over tongues. And and why is this? Why is prophecy superior? Why is prophecy vastly superior to tongues? Well, Paul gives the answer in verses 2 to 4. He says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Remember the the, the purpose of the gifts. The purpose of the gifts is not to build up ourselves. The purpose of the gifts is to build up the church. And Paul is saying that prophecy is superior for this task than tongues because prophecy is in an understandable language. When they prophesy, you can actually understand what they're saying. Whereas in tongues, you have no idea what they're saying unless it's interpreted. And he says prophecy is speaking to the mind, but tongues, without an interpreter, is not. And Paul says in verse 
19. He says, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue because they would be meaningless to people. So this is the overall message to the Corinthians on the subject of tongues. Paul is not speaking here as one who doesn't have the gift. So we can say it's not that Paul is jealous of other people with the gift. Paul actually says in verse 18 that he speaks in tongues more than anyone else. So he definitely does have this gift. But he's saying, nevertheless, his message is don't be so enamored with the gift of tongues because they're so much less effective in building up the church and doing what they're supposed to do. Rather desire the prophecy. That, that's, a, that's a high octane. That's, a, that's a, a, a dense gift. That will edify the church. That will build up the church. And it builds up the church because people understand what they're saying. And it will make people more like Christ. Now, at the time this letter was written to the Corinthians, tongues were still a real and a valid gift. And Paul says in verse 39, he says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. So he doesn't want people to go the other way and completely throw it out. He's talking here about a, a real gift. He's not talking about a counterfeit gift, a real gift that, that existed in the church. And the counterfeit existed also in the church in the Corinthians' day. So what is the real gift and what is the counterfeit gift? Well, we need to understand up front that the real gift of tongues as described in the Bible is a real language. It's a real language, a language that was expected to be understood. In Acts 2 that Jack read for us, each person in the crowd understood what the disciples were speaking in their own language. They understood what was being said. It was not just it was not just babble, it was not just it was just not gibberish. It was real words. And we see this. Paul is expecting the speaking of tongues that there's someone who understands, someone who can interpret it, so it is understood. It's not just meaningless words going out. And these languages, these real languages spoken by the disciples, the miracle here is that they were unknown to them. They were given this ability to speak them by the Holy Spirit. They didn't study, they didn't have them, but they were real languages. Acts chapter 2, verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, means tongues that they didn't know, as the Spirit gave them utterances. And in three times that this in Acts, three times the, the speaking in tongues is, is mentioned in the book. That's it, only three times in the entire book. And it's given each time for a purpose. And what this purpose is, is giving evidence. It's giving evidence that the speaker of these tongues has been filled with the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned in, in previous sermons, the gift of tongues was an evidentiary gift. That means it was to provide visible, tangible evidence of a supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. And we see this explicitly said in, in, in the Acts Acts chapter 2 and implied in the other statements that there were people there that heard. When they were speaking in tongues, people heard and understood. Not everyone, but some heard and said they're speaking and confirmed that these were real languages. But this is not how the gift of tongues was generally being exercised in Corinth. It seems that people were so-called were, were so speaking in tongues and no one understood the words. No one understood what was being said. And this gibberish was understood by no one and it was uh, useful to no one. So Paul makes it clear here that for tongues to be legitimate, they must be understood by a person. And they must be interpreted so that this revelation that's coming could be a benefit to the church. Otherwise, it is not a valid gift. He says in verse 28, But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. 
And I don't know of any situation or any modern examples where a person or a group is speaking in a language that's completely unknown to the speaker, and there are people saying, yep, I know that. that that's a language that I know. That, that's, that, that's a real language, and they're saying real things. Oftentimes we have scams, just like the scam faith healers. And that, now there may, I've, I've heard anecdotal evidence, I don't know if anything's been proven, that there may be on the mission field in areas where there are no, there are, there are no believers and people don't even speak the language, that they're given the supernatural ability to communicate the gospel. That may be the case. But there's certainly no widespread evidence that this is happening today. And as such, as, as Reformed Christians, we believe that the gift of tongues has ceased. And this fits with what we're told in, in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13.8 says, As for tongues, they will cease. They will cease. At some point, we don't know when exactly that was. They were still active when Paul wrote that, but they would cease. And it seems, when we look through church history, it seems to be the case that they have ceased. They haven't been mentioned. But many proponents of, of the continuation of the gift of tongues, they'll admit that, that the gift of tongues does not function this way anymore. But they'll still say that it continues today in a different way. They claim that scripture does not limit the gift of tongues solely to speaking a, a real language, albeit un, un, unknown to the speaker. And they, they'll use some of the verses found in this chapter to justify speaking in what they call ecstatic utterances as, as a way to praise God. Praise God with, the, with their spirit and without words. Or as, as my, my good friend did, as a private prayer language. Or some of the other excesses uh, that we would see in some of these uh, Pentecostal services. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few of these verses, and we're going to see, is this the best way to understand them? So the first verse they'll, they'll look at is verse 2. It says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So the argument here is that this, this verse is speaking about prayer, speaking to God, a personal prayer language. You're not speaking to men, no, but we're speaking to God. But is this what Paul is, means in this context? Is this the context? Paul's not speaking anywhere about prayer. He's talking about edifying the church. He's talking about spiritual gifts. This whole section is about spiritual gifts, building up others. And the word mysteries here that's mentioned in this verse in the New Testament Mysteries always refers to something that had been previously hidden, but God is now revealing. It's being revealed in the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And this is referring to a supernatural divine revelation. This is not speaking about prayer. We don't pray new revelation. When I'm praying here, you're not writing it down as if you're going to put it in your Bible as new revelation. See, the Holy Spirit gives new revelation through prophecy at that time, not through prayer. So just as it is given through prophecy, that's what we're saying here. And what this is saying is that the, the, the valid gift of tongues, when interpreted, serves the same function as the gift of prophecy did. It provides the church with new revelation, with divine instruction, divine revelation. And we see Paul actually equate the two of these in verse 5, where he says, The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. See, if someone interprets the tongues, then they're equal. Then they both have benefit. Both can, then they both can build up the church. Now, a response that a proponent of the continuation of tongues would say, yes, uninterpreted tongues does not build up the church, but it's still beneficial to me. Right? The church is not going to get anything when I, they hear me t speaking in tongues, but I'm going to benefit. And they'll, they'll look at verse 4. And verse 4 says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So I'll benefit but the one who prophesies builds up the church. 
Well, remember the entire context of these chapters, 12 through 14, as well as really the entire letter of 1 Corinthians. See, the Corinthians are not being rebuked for not building themselves up. In fact, this was their whole problem. They were focused on themselves. They were focused on building themselves up. They were worldly. They were only concerned with themselves. Remember at the, at the beginning of, of chapter 8, when it was talking about food sacrificed to idols, Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, they were very good at building themselves up, of puffing themselves up. Too good. They were thinking like unbelievers. So verse 4 is not calling them to is not calling them to speak in tongues as a way of spiritual improvement. It's actually an admonishment. See, by speaking in this counterfeit gift of tongues, what they're doing is they're puffing themselves up. They're making themselves look more spiritual, more, more uh, prideful. They're exercising these flashy and, and visible gifts. But the gift is of absolutely no value for the edification of church. And verse 4 here is a rebuke. It's a rebuke to this worldly thinking of this worldly church. And they should, this is something that we should not seek to imitate. Another verse that is appealed to in describing the modern-day gift of tongues is a, as a prayer language we see is uh, verse 14. Where verse 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And this verse, or say, is this verse saying that you can pray with your spirit and not your mind? Right? This, this seems to be what the Corinthians and maybe some Pentecostals are thinking, that I'm, my, my spirit is just, is just praying something and my mind is being bypassed in the whole thing. But is this what Paul is saying? Is, is this even possible? If it was possible, is it advisable? Is this something we should strive to do? Well, I think verse 15 seems to give us the answer, and the answer is clearly a negative. Because he says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, and I will sing with my mind also. See, we don't want to pray just with our mind. I mean, we, we could do that. We, it could all just be an intellectual exercise, and our spirit is not there. We're praying only with our mind, and our, and our spirit's not engaged. But we don't want to do it the opposite. We don't want to solely be spiritual when our mind is completely unengaged. And Paul is saying you cannot separate, we cannot separate our spirits from our mind. And, and we saw this in pagan religions. This is what pagan religions do. They want you to empty your mind. They want you to go into a trance, even using mind-altering music or mind-altering drugs. My friends, this is not of God. This is satanic. Christianity uses the mind and the spirit. We are not to separate the two. Paul said in Romans 12, too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect? So why would we ever? Why would we ever want to bypass our mind in prayer? What possible good could this be for us? And the answer is absolutely none. Furthermore, we don't really have to guess how we should pray. In our gospel reading this morning, Jesus directly tells us how we're to pray in the Lord's, Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said in Matthew 6-7 that I read just a few moments ago, he says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard with their many words. And heaping up empty phrases. Can you think of any better description than praying in a, a secret prayer language? These are empty phrases and sounds. This is exactly how the pagans pray. This is how the pagans worship. And this, this is not the biblical gift of tongues. This is a counterfeit. And Paul gives clear instructions how the legitimate 
gift of tongues is to be exercised in the church in a worship service. And we see this in verses 27 and 28. He says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. See, if any speak in a tongue, it says only two or at most three should speak. Not the entire church. And note that they should speak in turn. This is not a chaotic free-for-all. Like I said, when I was at this church when I was a kid, they were all speaking in tongues at the same time. It was a chaotic free-for-all. And they said that they're only to speak if there is an interpreter. Only if it can edify the church. If not, they are to keep silent. We do see a very important purpose for tongues given in this passage that I think uh, was missed by the Corinthians. It's also missed by the modern proponents of the continuation of this gift. And we see this in verses 20 through 25. So I'm going to start with, with verse 20. It says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And Paul is saying that they're, they're not to be immature in their thinking, which, which means, as we talked about last week, the immature was acting like unbelievers. That's how they were acting. They were no different than unbelievers. That it would be infant and e- infants with respect to evil. That means they are to be innocent with respect to evil. They're not to be, they're not to be cunning and, 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 and sly uh, like that. They are to be innocent in that respect. But in their thinking, they're to be mature. And then Paul is going to give them these new insights to mature thinking. He's going to reveal to them another purpose for tongues. And we see this in verse 21, where he says, In the law, quoting the Old Testament, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And Paul here is quoting the Old Testament. And specifically he's quoting Isaiah 28, 11 and 12 and Deuteronomy 28, 49. And both of these verses reference God's judgment on Israel by sending foreign nations to capture them, to take over them, to speak to them in foreign languages. And God is saying, if you're not going to listen to me, if you're not going to listen to my words, which I spoke to you in the language that you understood, that I'm going to speak to you in foreign languages, by foreign nations that conquer you. And relating this to the gift of tongues, Paul continues in verses 22 and 23. He says, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a a sign for, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? See, if, if an unbeliever comes into a church and they're all speaking in tongues, like I, when I was a kid, when I went in this church and they're all speaking in tongues, what is my first reaction? I was an unbeliever. My first reaction is, get out of there. They're all crazy. And that's what he's saying. They're going to have no interest in hearing the gospel. They're going to be repulsed by this. It is a sign of uh, of judgment, really. And he continues in verse 24, speaking about prophecy. He says, But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really, really among you. See, basically what it is is they'll understand. They're hearing God's word proclaimed. And when God's word is proclaimed, God's word has power to change, power to change hearts, powers to convict people of sins. And God's word clearly proclaims, brings salvation to the lost. My friends, the same is true today. 
The same is true for the church today. The Holy Spirit uses the clear communication of his word, not the obscure, the clear communication of his word. Now, there's no new revelation. There's no new prophecy. Everything is complete. Everything is included in here. This is all of God's word. And this is what God uses to bring salvation to his people. So speaking in tongues is at best a distraction from the gospel. And we don't want to distract an unbeliever. We don't want to distract him with a meaningless babble. The the gospel is offensive enough to an unbeliever. We don't want to add to the offense by using non-biblical practices. And churches that focus on tongues or miraculous signs or or wonders, they often neglect or, or minimize the simple proclamation of the gospel. And the gospel, the gospel is the sole need for the unbeliever. And scripture tells us, scripture tells us that every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And because of this, scripture tells the wages of sin is death, eternal death. But there's good news. The good news. See, that's the bad news. Every one of us deserves eternal death. But the good news of the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And how did he do this? Jesus did this. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He took our sin upon himself. It was punished in him so that we might become the righteousness of God. Reconciliation with God is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. This is the gospel. This is what is to be clearly communicated by the church. And if there are any here at this moment, or any on the live stream, or any who may listen to this sermon 10 years from now on sermon audio, if you are not a believer, your only application of this sermon As every sermon that I preach, your only application is to come to Christ, to receive and rest upon him alone as he is offered in the gospel and become a new creation in Christ. And my friends, the gift of tongues was given to the church for a specific time and for a specific purpose. And that time and purpose has now ended. And Paul knew that this time was near when he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13.8 that tongues will cease. So do not be distracted by counterfeit gifts or that have ceased or, or, or focus on these things that, that, are, that are miraculous and flashy. Focus on the things we know. Focus on the gospel. Focus on the things that build people up. Focus on Christ. That is our application. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that the gospel is clearly communicated. And Father, may we be people that center on the gospel, focus on the gospel, focus on Christ. That is what the world needs to hear. Many things are distractions. Many things will will confuse people. But the clear, simple gospel that we were enemies of God and you took the initiative. You took the initiative to repair that relationship through your son, Jesus Christ, who took the penalty for our disobedience and our sin upon himself and was punished on the cross And he gave us his perfect righteousness, which is rewarded with everlasting life. And this is given to us, presented to us. And all we need to do is accept it, receive and rest upon it by faith. Father, I pray again, if there is anyone here who does not belong to you, Lord, that you will change at this moment. If there's anyone watching online that does not belong to you, that that will change at this moment. And Father, we pray that you alone will be glorified. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.